welcome to the Mental Health Bootcamp Podcast. I am Dr. Ryan House, a clinical psychologist from Pasadena, California. And I am Dr. Brooke Lewis, a registered clinical counselor from the greater Vancouver area. And I'm Joanna Boyd, also a clinical counselor from the Port Moody area. I'm Chris Boyd, psychotherapist from the Lower Mainland. The Lower Mainland, yes. Welcome, everybody. Uh, Chris, you weren't on the mainland in the last couple of weeks. You went, you left the mainland for a while, didn't you? I did. I went over to Vancouver Island to the west coast to a little town called uh, Tofino. Tofino is a very cool spot known for surfing. Yes. Big expansive beaches. So I tried uh, surfing for the first time. But I think surfing is a strong, strong word for what I was able to accomplish. Um, more like falling, bailing, tumbling. I want to get to the surfing thing, but I, I can't remember if I sent this to you, but I saw something about like Time Magazine made a list of like 20 beautiful places in the world. And Tofino, of all places, was one of those spots that was highlighted as one of the most beautiful spots on the planet. Wow. Yeah, I saw that one as well, that uh, he made the list. That's yeah. Cool. So it's already becoming kind of busy, so that's probably uh, kind of bit of problematic, yeah. Increase it a bit, but yeah, it's a beautiful spot. We're fortunate we get to go there. Now I'm picturing kind of, uh, I think of the northern coast there, at least north for us. I guess you're in kind of the southwest of Canada, but it's uh, kind of rougher. Like the rocks and things, like there's sandy beaches and stuff though too, right? Yeah, in Tofino especially, there's some really big beaches. And then uh, um, rainforest, so extremely lush vegetation for yes. wind blowing. And then lots of rocks as well. So it's pretty, yeah, it's rugged in places, lots yeah. of waves and stuff. And very small, so I just Googled it. Um, the population of Tofino is approximately 2,500 people. Ah, smaller. So it probably fluctuates to, what, oh, 5,000 people every weekend? Yeah. Maybe more, but yeah, it's a great, great spot. And during a lot of the pandemic, I've, I've one of the shows that I, I binged watched uh, several times, <laughs> several seasons was uh, Alone, which I know is also on Vancouver Island somewhere. At least some of the seasons were on that. Oh, really? Yeah. That up. Yeah. So it it can be pretty rough out there. There's a lot of a lot of wildlife and and can be harsh conditions probably closer to, to winter time right you know lots of storms lots of surfing lots yeah, of yeah tell me about the uh, surfing chris because you know i i don't think of uh canada as being a big surfing mecca but uh you you went there's probably probably a few spots where you'd like to surf up here um as mm -hmm. friends you really wanted to go kind of like a 40th birthday type thing so I, I was game, I'm like, I'll give it a shot. One, actually three have surfed before. One probably surfs about five or six times a year. Didn't really want to let us know how to surf. I don't know why. Um, so kind of went out there, got the wetsuit on and didn't really have the technique down. So lots of falling. Then we watched a bunch of YouTube videos that night, and picked up a few things. Like how to stand up, balance yourself a little better. 
Um, a little little surfing surfer hazing there. Like you got to figure out, you got to go through the yeah. school of hard knocks to learn how to do this, right? That's right. We're showing that, uh, but there's a bunch of surfing schools on the beach. So I walked for a coffee and I kind of kind of linger and see what they were kind of teaching there. But so I think I went out four times, stood up very 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 briefly before tumbling. And then we uh, usually the first one off the waves into the hot tub and watch the others surf. That was great. Uh, I yeah. full wetsuits, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, full wetsuits. Pretty cold. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but on the first night, we actually watched a documentary on some war vets who have um, all of them have been seriously injured. Um, throughout their careers there. And uh, the majority were actually suicidal. Um, and so they talked about how surfing actually boosted their mental health. So I forget that I could look up the, uh, the name of it, but it's kind of cool. So there's, uh, I must be down in California there. There's a surfing school or instructor who would bring all these vets down there and some, some with missing limbs and one fellow um, was blind and would take them out there. So it's kind of a, it's kind of neat because surfing is a bit of a thrill. Like there's a strong connection to, to nature, but there's a bit of a thrill to it as well, right? Yeah. Kind of get better at. And so I, I think for them, it was a game changer. Yes. Oh, that's, I, I've heard of that. Uh, I've heard of that, that ski or that, that surfing program for veterans, uh, or at least one that's down here in, I think, Newport Beach, um, Huntington Beach, maybe. But yeah, that that's uh, they're kind of teaching people to kind of go with the the flow of the waves and to kind of get into the almost the spiritual practice of it, which is something that I hear a lot from from regular surfers down here. Is is how, gosh, more so than most other sports, people really view surfing as as more as kind of a spiritual um, mindfulness sort of practice. As they're out there early in the morning, you know, five in the morning, five thirty, as the sun's coming coming up uh, from the east, and, uh, and they're just kind of riding the waves and just kind of uh, going with the flow, and it's a very uh, calming kind of centering practice for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. So I got a, a bit of that for sure. You're standing out there, sitting out there, and very grounded, and yeah, it was uh, it was great that way. As a beginner, I was trying to chase down some of the biggest waves, which was a bad mistake. I should have been chasing the white water closer to the beach. Yeah. So and then that song Wipeout would play out in my mind. Like, I got this one. And then, na 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 Wipeout. Okay. I didn't know that's what that was called. Um, oh, yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, a good, good time. Yes. I have just you, have surfed, Johnny, you surfed before. <laughs> Uh, I remember that. Yeah, one family trip to Tofino, no one wanted to surf but me. And I didn't do a lesson, which was not smart. So I just got the wetsuit and board and went out there and the whole family just sat on the beach and watched. Just I got just I got worse. really beat up. <laughs> I'd go and then the riptide would kind of take you down. Like so you'd have to kind of find a spot on the beach because you kind of just get taken down the beach and then you'd have to it's just really tiring. Like yeah. if I ever did surf again, I, I for sure think I'd want to do a lesson or have some, yeah, someone who knows what they're doing to help me. Cause I think that would make it a lot more enjoyable. 
I actually have surfed since. It was in Morocco, uh, New Year's 2019. So oh, the sand dune? No, no, no. Actually, uh, yeah, we spent New Year's in the Sahara, and then we went to the coast. And so people, surfing was big there. And so someone gave me some pointers there and, and tried to help, but I actually never got to stand up. So mm, I even go. But it'd be nice to surf when it's not super frigid cold. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'd be up for trying it again. Yeah, me too. So well, I'm going to stand up for longer than 0.1 second. Mm. I'm going to do it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've been a, f- a couple times here in, in Southern California and, and I think once in Hawaii. And it is, it's it's fun, but I think I think it's probably much better for people who <laughs> know what they're doing. As a, as a beginner, it's pretty nerve wracking and like, you're really thinking a lot about what's, you know, when do I paddle? When do I try to stand up? How do I fall so it doesn't injure me greatly? All of that. But I think as it, as you get a little better, a little more experience, it's probably a much more enjoyable experience. But yeah, that's fun. Way to go, Chris. Way to try something new. Yes. Kudos to you. That's awesome. Well, very cool. Uh, here we are in episode 91 of the podcast. Crazy. 91. Gosh. 91 of these that we've done so far. And we get to uh, we get to dive into another topic. So, oh, no peeking at the topic, everybody. So let's, uh, let's roll with it. I think Chris is up tonight, right? I am up. Yeah, we just came up with this one. It's going to be a really difficult one, so get those thinking caps on. All right, here we go. Sleep hygiene three or toxic masculinity two, whatever we got. It's actually the therapeutic benefits of surfing. Oh, beautiful. Let's do it. <laughs> Good. Okay, so uh, when you're ready, Chris, you will be the ambusher and send it on down. Okay. All right, do you send it? Yeah. All right, we ready? Yeah. How can having a pet or a connection with an animal be therapeutic? How can it not be? Have you ever had a therapeutic pet or connection with an animal? Okay. One more time. Nope, just once. (laughs) Can you repeat that one more time? How can having a pet or connection with an animal be therapeutic? Okay. How can it not be therapeutic? How is it maybe not? Uh, and have you ever had a therapeutic pet or connection with an animal? Pet time, everybody. So of our group here, Ryan, you have a dog? I have a dog. And Brooke and Chris have two dogs. Mm-hmm. I have zero dogs, but I have had a pet. Chris and I had a dog growing up. And I've had a guinea pig and some hamsters. But anyways, I'm just trying to make note of yeah. who has pets right who now. Has current really, pets. Really skimmed over the guinea pig. I know. <laughs> That's very that can be therapeutic. Totally, hundred percent. Yeah. I was just trying to think. Yeah. Currently, I don't have adult experience having a pet. Uh, I have to clarify a little bit. Yes, I do have a dog. I had a lot of dogs when I was growing up, but also, you guys not, don't even know this, but I also have two fish. Right. Whoa. Two fish. About about 
five or six years ago, I was with my my youngest son at a uh, at a carnival, and we walked into the carnival, and he's excited. Let's do do things, and he and we went to like the the midway where they're doing like the games and stuff like that. And like the first thing we went to was the toss the ping pong ball into the goldfish tank thing. I don't know if you've seen that before, but first ball he took and he threw it and it made it into one of the little goldfish things like great you win a goldfish i'm like great <laughs> fish is the first thing we did here we've got another four hours here what am i gonna do with this goldfish uh, that's funny i expected that goldfish was not gonna make it through that day let alone the next six years but we still have this stinking goldfish yeah. six years i thought a goldfish lifespan was like a year or two but they could get quite big Goldfish? Oh, it's it's Large. it's tripled or quadrupled in size, and we we got a, a buddy for the goldfish, so they're living a life of luxury out in the living room right now and yeah. uh, having wow. a great old time. How big is the goldfish? Do you think like a deck of cards or like the size of your phone? I'd say yeah, the size of my phone probably. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, two two big old goldfish. Feed them twice a day. They're in a nice tank. You have to have the, the the key to goldfish apparently is you know that you picture them with just that that bowl but if you actually get a filter going and uh and clean out that tank once in a while they they can live for a long long time so yeah this this 24-hour goldfish has been here for six years so it's crazy <laughs> it's part like of the family it. now and goldfish also like yeah. also i will say about the goldfish not therapeutic and uh, not much of a comfort or support animal, really at all. Are you sure? Because I've never had fish, but I would imagine sitting watching the fish oh. would be Relaxing. very calming. I don't know. I kind of, I kind of experienced these goldfish as a little anxious and just kind of looking around for food and what's over here? What's over here? What's over here? They're, they're not all that peaceful. I, I've, I've had betta fish before in the in the past, and those are peaceful beautiful flowing fish those are those are nice little fish but uh now these goldfish are a little hyperactive <laughs> i i had a beta fish i've had a few but i the most recent was when i used to work at the nonprofit, and i had like this vase of bamboo so in the bottom of it i had a, a gold or a beta fish yeah you're not supposed to put them with another beta fish because they'll yeah. hurt each other um so it's just one and then i got a snail a little snail like a water snail that can go in there yeah. and the bigger fish would keep knocking the snail off as it climbs up anyways it was kind of stressful because i was like are they gonna are they gonna survive and then if i was gone for the weekend home i was like do i have to bring the fish home because anyways it was also a bit of a stressor and the fish did not last long so i learned my lesson there but anyways yeah. there's some stress to keeping a fish alive yeah i was gonna say that like we used to have goldfish they didn't last six years so like, no. we something wrong. yeah but um, we have some friends, uh, Saya, or Trevor and Saya, and their daughters wanted fish because they mm -hmm. thought that would boost their well-being. And uh, they said, okay, well, you got to take care of it then. Mm. Something that lasted for about five or six days. Now Saya has to every Friday. <laughs> Cleans the, <laughs> the tank. Drain and... it. Uh, scrub it. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. with, I know they won't listen, but our brother Jeff and sister-in-law, um, our Chris and I's niece wanted uh, a fish for her birthday. Yes. And so much money later, by the way, and then it ends up being 
Jolene who's cleaning the tank and like <laughs> the, the six-year-old kid's not doing it so anyways it's a lot more so, work so, than you think so many fish are not the most therapeutic animal yeah. have. but back to the topic what about <laughs> therapeutic animals maybe maybe not fish so much but uh dogs I'm, I'm really interested in this hamster thing joe because i don't I, i've never pictured them as being all that sociable are they um so i was quite young i had we had hamsters growing up i don't have a lot of experience they'd escape and then they'd be like uh, i remember yeah we had some not end up it didn't turn out well those stories but um it's a little smart no <laughs> <laughs> and then i had a guinea pig i got for my birthday yeah and that was lovely that was very exciting um or it's christmas and then once that guinea pig passed away chris actually got me two hamsters winnie and Pooh, and uh they had each other like i i would try to pick them up and hang out with them but there was totally joy in having those pets i think it's fun having these little creatures i didn't mind you know taking care of them and you kind of hold them for a little bit or put them in a ball and let them roam around the house as long as you don't forget about the ball because you hear it hitting things anyways um yeah but so sociable a little bit a little bit definitely, definitely not the most cuddly just hang out for a long time cuddling type animal but yeah. it depends what you consider therapeutic it's, but they depend on you a bit. Totally. You have to clean their, there's a connection there. It's fun having a little life to take care of. Mm -hmm. I, I really enjoyed having those animals. Okay. There's therapeutic point number one, right? How is taking care of something that's completely dependent upon you therapeutic? I mean, as we think about, a lot of times we talk about self-care, it's about taking care of yourself and like, what do I need? What do I need right now? What's, what's some me time or whatever? But, but a lot of times when people have pets, they talk about the benefits of taking care of something else, right? Something that's completely dependent. Yeah. What do you think is, is the, the, the therapeutic benefit from that level of dependency? I think at some level, it's uh, you're showing a little bit of compassion there. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, it, it gives you purpose, yeah. right? Purpose throughout the day. Um, I think there's also like attunement. Um, we're attuning to something that's living other than ourselves. I think people to some degree also get that benefit from plants. Like if the plant is able to communicate to you, like I can only have plants that communicate. So leaves go down. I know it needs water. Leaves are up. They're happy. Like that's where I'm at. Um, but again, it's being attuned and listening, like looking for signals of, of another. And I think there's something in that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think um, when you look at, uh, at, at happiness research, you know, Seligman's work and, and uh, all of the positive psychology stuff, always one of the things that's included in that is is altruism uh you know giving giving to someone else uh whether it's charitable work or uh, donating your time or money uh one of the things that's seems to to pay off almost all the time is giving of your own self to someone else or something else and i think that's that's something that comes from this this level of dependency because i think it's incompatible i mean it's a little more theoretical but i think it's kind of difficult for us to think of ourselves as a bad person if what we're doing 
is giving something good to someone else, you know, mm-hmm. we're the source of something good for this creature or this person. And it's hard to hold a, uh, a negative self-concept if you're also improving the life of someone or something else. I guess you're, what you're trying to say too is by loving something else, you're, you learn to love yourself. Safe to say. Yeah, you, you realize that you're a source of something good, you know, something positive. Like, oh, I can't be all bad if I'm keeping this plant alive or this gerbil alive or <laughs> whatever else. Certainly this pet, right? Yeah, for sure. So there's there's that giving component, that kind of altruistic, uh, compassionate component. What else do pets do for us? Companionship. Yeah. I think is a big one. I think it depends on what type of pet it is, but I think there's something to be said for the company. Mm-hmm. Um, a warm little body to, you know, might cuddle up to you or... Um, and respond, right? And respond, yeah. The tilting of a head or, or the, whatever it might be. Or the excitement uh, when you get home. home. Or a pet coming to check on you. Like I'm just thinking of... Uh, one of my clients today had a cat and so the cat wanted to come scratch on the door came in and then wants to you know walk right in front of the the laptop screen but essentially wanted attention and cuddles coming in for a little check-in you know yeah so do you think um this is a lot of people feel this to be true that uh, dogs can and cats can sense when you're having a difficult day if you're struggling a bit does it gravitate towards you? I I'm not sure that. if that's circumstantial, but I think it's hard for me to say. So that I'm sure if anybody's watching on YouTube, you'll see the little white dog. Here, here she is. Her name is Bear, and uh, back down she goes. So Bear here is like glued to me. So I think if I was upset, I don't know if there would be much different because she is always glued to me. No matter your mood. Whatever no it is. No matter the mood. Yeah. She's just a sticky dog. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of stories about um, pets kind of staying close if someone's sick or kind of checking in. I think there's yep, anecdotal evidence, I guess, for that, if that's what that yep. would be. Yeah. Yep. We have a colleague, uh, Jean Claude. He had a dog, Leo. We come into the office with him. She's a therapeutic dog. And a lot of his clients really valued the connection with Leo. I think Jean-Claude would definitely support that. Yeah. Leo kind of picks up on things and act differently based on what's going on in the room. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So the companionship, that's a that's a good one, Joe. I think a lot of people, I mean, that's that's why um a lot of uh retirement homes and things have some pets kind of wandering around. They they want to make sure that there are there's that liveliness uh, around uh, in some places to to give that bit bit of companionship and and I think that for a lot of people it just kind of feels good to pet the dog and to to have that bit of interaction. Um, you know the dog's needs if it's a dog the dog's needs are pretty simple, <laughs> pet me feed me you know, maybe play with me if if they if that's what they really want but it's. Uh, very satisfying interaction uh, requires not too much effort on on the human's part right yeah and i wonder if there's um i don't know if there's research on like mirror neurons and pets like i'm just thinking when there's like a happy dog around people 
get a little happier, right? Like it's uh, yeah. tend to mirror or our mood elevates or shifts or starts to kind of match that energy of the dog or the pet, you know? So I'm, I'm curious what happens there. Um, one of my other clients this week, big dog fan, but uh, a paramedic. And so we were talking about um, like the use of therapy dogs for first responders, like, and how helpful that could be to have like a station dog yeah. for at fire halls, at uh, like the ambulance stations, stuff like that, for when you're coming back from a call and then just having that pet there or an animal there. Not really uh, feasible for ambulatory care because there would be like dander and cleanliness and stuff. So they're not allowed to have any, any pets at the station. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Um, Brooke and I are part of the Rotary Club. And uh, a few years ago, a couple of years ago, we had a speaker from uh, is it the Equestrian Center in Maple oh, Ridge. I wasn't there that day. And um, she talked about, it was more of a mental health focus. And so they supported youth, especially with anxiety and and um, depression and grief. And so they come and build a connection with the horses and ride the horses around. And had some pretty cool research there. It's like equine therapy or something? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So, so, Neat uh, studies being done there. Yeah, so that one's a little, I think, well, I guess that would play with house pets too, but um, part of it is the, like the nervous system. So you have to be mindful and calm your nervous system because then mm. the horse won't react. Yeah. But if you're panicky or anxious or whatever, then the horse won't. Fix up on that? Yeah, like it, it won't do what you want it to do. So for you to learn how to guide the horse, you actually have to learn how to calm yourself down. Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 Hmm. That's right. Yeah, that's be that's becoming a, a much bigger thing these days, at least here in the States, probably in Canada as well, the equine therapy and, and I think it's branching out to a lot of different animals. And uh but yes, it's it's all about learning to, to self-regulate in order to interact with the animal and help you to have a good Good connection there. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. If it's a dog, um, if it's a dog, you have to get outside or take the dog outside. Oh, that's a good one too. So that could be, and I, you know what? Everyone's different. Some people get out for walks. Some will just kind of go out to the yard or down to the wherever is close to their home, and whatever works. But it gets you fresh air. Yeah. And potentially meeting other dog owners if you're going to the dog park or take your dog somewhere. Often dog people will know other dogs' names, but not the owner's names, right? Yeah. What do you think? He'll be like, oh, instead of Ryan, it's, oh, that's Lexi's dad. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That is, that is certainly the case. Yeah, there's a, there's a social component to it, but absolutely that uh, needing to get outside to walk the dog. I mean, that sometimes that little bit of motivation is all someone needs to, to, get off their butts and get on their feet and, and start walking the dog. Yeah. Yes. And, and my, my dog is kind of the cliche uh, pandemic dog. We got <laughs> Lexi summer of 2020. So it was, uh, as a lot of people were getting dogs during that point, because they're like, Oh, we got to have something to, to you know, bring some energy into the home. And, 
she's absolutely done all of that and continues to motivate us to to go out for walks and to throw the ball and do all those fun things so that's great uh, yes so the second part of the question chris was is there a time when pets uh you know how can pets not be uh therapeutic how can they be uh anti-therapeutic in some way right is there a way yeah for sure i think um pets or animals can be a source of phobias traumas at times um hmm. are we talking about if you are a pet owner how is it not therapeutic to have a pet would someone get a pet if they had a phobia of it yeah. or phobias for other people are you making note of that's true i'm just saying uh sometimes animals can act unpredictably, uh, unpredictably yeah. and um a lot of people are focused on trying to connect with rescue dogs and, mm -hmm. and improve their lives, but sometimes it can be quite complicated and a lot of trauma yeah. there yeah. you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. um, dogs, I've uh, never really been a, a cat owner or owner, but dogs or puppies are a tremendous amount of responsibility, a lot yeah. of hard work and sleepless that can nights. be very and, stressful. So I know people who had the best intentions when they got a puppy, but they had to give the dog back because yes. it's, it was extremely challenging and that was very upsetting for them to, to have to do that right and that happens quite often very often yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so i don't know if i'd ever suggest you know, if i was concerned about someone's mental health that they go get a puppy i, I think that would be that would be a lot for them to take on yeah have a lot of support in place to help with that decision yeah yeah and i mean dog behaviors depending on the temperament of your dog again dog owner Typically for me, not cat owner, I've never been a cat owner, but uh, if you get a temperament, a certain temperament, then this dog's going to be like, if they're unruly, so uh, if they're chewing up furniture or you can't really leave them alone or highly reactive or separation anxiety, and then they destroy things or, you know, there can be stress with it, mm -hmm. with coming along with the training and the responsibility. Yeah. 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 yeah kind of sometimes puts limitations on other activities in your life as well. Like if you need to travel or whatnot, you need to have the means to board your pet. And that can be stressful or, or financial stress as well, right? Like um, if your pet is going through medical conditions, something's going on, uh, that can be very, very stressful to yep. you care deeply about your pet, but some things are costly. Absolutely. So, my dog Lexi is a wonderful dog. She's a Labradoodle. She she's very dog friendly and and human friendly and and very social. Uh, but I'll tell you, she and I go out for and she's actually a, I like to run and she's a good runner as well. She we can go for a six mile run and she's just great running right along next to me. Um, but she loves other animals so much that she will yank me <laughs> in their direction if she sees another dog somewhere she wants to go and play with that dog uh oftentimes other people too and it's a distraction i mean it's it's a minor thing but it's like ah you know sometimes during the at least the first couple of miles of a run until she kind of tires out a little bit it's like oh come on leave me <laughs> let me just run for a while you're just kind of extra yeah. extra work here yeah for sure but but I also think it's important, Brooke, to add to the, the, the medical 
issues there, um, which, wow, I've, I've known some people who've spent tremendous amounts of money on their dogs. I mean, thank goodness for the improvements in, in veterinary medicine, but that also means that sometimes to prolong a pet's life, it can be huge amounts of money. Yeah, and availability. I don't know how common it is in the States, but pet insurance yeah. is uh, definitely more and more common up here. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you can build such a powerful connection with pets. I think dogs are the best listeners. They don't talk back and they're attentive and loyal. Um, but if that's one of your main avenues of emotional support, then just the idea of losing that connection is... It's devastating, right? Yeah. So, well, yeah. And that's that's what I was gonna say is is as as wonderful as our pets are, unfortunately, you know, their lifespans of you know between eight and twenty years. I mean, twenty is the, the very far end, but you know, um, the, the animals don't don't live all as long as we do. So so when you when you're getting a pet, you know that you're also signing up for the a bit of the grief as well, you know. And yeah. that's, uh, that's really hard. And, you know, I, I think sometimes people kind of, uh, even today, you know, people will say, oh, you know, oh, your dog died, oh, whatever, it's not that big a deal. But no, it is a significant loss for a lot of people who have uh, a really strong connection to, to their pet, to their animal, dogs or cats, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. People often say it in a very timid way. Yeah. Shame that they're so upset, but I know. to try to normalize that and say, no, there's a powerful attachment or connection that you can have there. Absolutely. This is a, a family member. You've seen them every day of your life, pretty much every day of your life, unless you were away on vacation for the whole length of their life. Like that's a, yeah. Yeah. Just today I spoke with a client and they had to put their cat down last week. And she said her and her family kind of were, you know, felt a bit silly being sad because they're like, well, we feel a bit silly get, you know, it's just a cat. But then I was like, they weren't allowing themselves. So I was like, and how long do you have that cat? And she's like 17 years. And I was like, yeah. is, you know, anyways, I just think some people, yeah, might feel silly about it. Yeah. They don't allow themselves to actually. It's too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Normalize that. Yeah. And, uh, it's grief. Totally. Whether it's uh, an animal yeah. or a human. And there was love. Totally. Indeed. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's certainly a, a downside would be the the kind of time frame of it all, you know, Compa compared to our lifespans in general, you know, the pets lifespans are, are much shorter and we're probably going to have to grieve a few pets along the way. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys have anything else to say about that part of it, but there's a second kind of piece to this is the, um, I say, connection to pets or animals, right? So I was actually in Tofino and they have a lot of whale watching mm -hmm. companies out there. My friend Scott went on one and apparently it was, it was an awful experience. They, it was one of those, we'll guarantee you a whale or get your money back. So I guess it was a super choppy day. You can not really see much of anything, but the guide was very persistent of finding a whale. So uh, they want to get the money back. So people were getting sick over the side of the boat. Oh, no. Oh, no. For two hours and they want to go back in. Anyways, uh, yeah, 
the um, connection in nature in general. So um, going out to, you know, uh, could be, we have a lot fortunate to have a family cabin and sitting out there watching the birds, the osprey or the fish jump or deer or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and uh, a lot of indigenous cultures, they have a crazy strong connection to animals, right? Yeah. Um, and this interconnectedness to, to all living beings. So I think that part of it's also very, very therapeutic too. Yeah, I agree. Watching wildlife is great. Yeah. Yeah. Just oh, the yeah. awe of it, you know, and just such a treat. Yeah. 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 So I think that's uh, kind of as part of the conversation too. I think that's can be very helpful for people to get into nature and just appreciate um, all the various animals and creatures out there. What do you think that's about, guys? Like, I I, I get that, and I'm I'm thinking about like on a on a little deeper level of meaning level, like. What do you, you think when you see a, a wild animal, whether it's a whale or a deer or a bird, and you feel some sort of a connection to that, is there something that that taps into about you that might be, you know, there's a longing or a, something that's kind of meaning making about that, um, a wish, you know, something that's, that's, that, that kind of taps into? I was just thinking more of, um over the course of, based on our biology or course of evolution, I think we have, there's no fluke that we have a strong connection to other living beings, right? Often we lose sight of that because we think that as human beings we're exceptional and we're not connected or we're way above other animals or creatures on this planet. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously we go, yeah, we have a strong connection over, you're talking hundreds of thousands or millions of years perhaps, but. I think for a lot of people, it's spiritual though. Mm -hmm. You see this pop up and again in a lot of indigenous or traditional cultures, right? There's the imagery or, mm -hmm. of animals. Would you say for you specifically, do you notice when you see an animal? What is it for you that is, what happens? I think often it's, uh, it's you don't usually expect it. And, I don't know if it's novelty or some underlying excitement there. Yeah. Um, obviously, if it's a bear or a wild cat coming towards you, that's very different. But, yeah. Um, yeah. There's animals we kind of take for granted sometimes seeing on a regular basis, right? Like those squirrels walking by or like, um, but yeah, for me, I don't know. I think it's, it's just a reminder of something bigger like this. It's just we're all kind of part of this mm -hmm. world together. And I think it's just so cool that you can see a deer walking down the road or you can just watch a squirrel or, and we're all just kind of living in harmony. Not at all times, obviously, <laughs> because not I know always, not always, not always the case. No, 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 it's definitely not. But I, yeah, I just think it's so neat. I think it is cool to see those animals you don't see very often. Um, but there's a little hummingbird that comes and sits on a telephone wire outside my office window. And you'll always fly back there and there's just something so cool. I don't know what it is. That's a very, you're making me ponder there, Ryan. What yeah. is it that I, what gets me about it? I'd have to get back to you on that one. I mean, I think about like sometimes the independence, uh, you know, with, with some of the animals, there's like this, the sense of, especially birds, you know, oh, wow, you can just fly. You could just go, you know, you can go wherever you want. Um, I think of deer and, 
deer deer often are traveling in packs and it's like oh yeah you got your crew you know you got your your group of people group of people group of animals that are just kind of doing their own thing um uh i where i where i lived just a few years ago there was a bear that would walk through the neighborhood on a daily basis just kind of go and poke around and look at the the trash cans in the area and just didn't care. It's like this very non-self-conscious sort of bear, just like, yep, I'm just doing my thing. I'm just going to knock over this trash can, knock over that one. And people will be yelling, oh, there's a bear coming. And the bear doesn't care. Just So there's this, there's some, some sort of uh, some personal qualities that I think that I attribute maybe to some of these animals and feel like, oh yeah, I, I'd, I'd like some more of that. I'd like to I'd like to have that freedom to fly or I'd like to not care what people say about me or I'd like to have a crew that I'm traveling around with all the time you know there's something about that that I think that probably touches me on some level it's funny a lot of uh, mindfulness um or as Buddhist psychologists say like get out of your monkey mind and they they their definition of a monkey mind is like the fixation or rumination and kind of spiraling there but I think that's actually our, that's definitely our human mind because animals don't don't fixate, mm -hmm. ruminate. So I think the goal is to get out of our human mind and get into our monkey mind. Right. And that is more grounded in the moment and going with the flow and yeah. Yeah, not being plagued by the what ifs or the what it could have should have and stuff like that. Absolutely. Yeah, I wonder more on the evolutionary side of things when it comes to watching wildlife. Um if there is like a like kind of tying in the altruism a bit from what you were saying earlier of caring for things and so if we're watching wildlife and I think maybe on a evolutionary way we're assessing like are you good mm -hmm. do you need anything because if you're good that's good and if I take care of you you take care of me but if you're not good and if there's any signs of you not be, being not good wildlife then I me myself I'm in danger so it's like a, a mobilization of energy. Yeah. Your brain. So I wonder if when we're watching wildlife, if part of that is like this back and forth connection of taking care of each other in the world between animals. But if that animal, yeah, again, if that animal hasn't been had their needs met, then we pick up on that, right? So, yeah. Hmm. I wonder about that a little bit because yeah, when I like to watch animals, I don't know, I end up kind of talking to them. Hey, little bird, how are you doing today? And or trying to imagine what they're doing or what they're trying to communicate or yeah. what their behavior means. It's when the bird talks back. That's yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a bit of an issue. But yeah, I'm watching the little crows on the wire or whatever it is, the coyote, the resident coyote in the neighborhood. Yeah. Don't like to be around that guy, but I'll watch him. Yeah. I don't feel calm when I watch him. It's also like, you know, again, there's this tendency to think human beings are exceptional, exceptionalism. But uh, some of the, the things that animals can do are it's quite fascinating. Oh, man, oh, it's really wild. Like the, How they the know dog it. Sense of, the sense of smell yeah. or, or sounds or sure. ants or yeah. any, whatever creature it is, if you pay attention close enough, you're like, holy crap. They, uh, it's pretty incredible what they can do Way to cooler survive. Than us. I think also with with uh, younger animals, puppies and kittens and and just cubs, you know, smaller animals. I think we we project a lot of like 
infant stuff onto them, like our like helplessness. We anthropomorphize that a little bit and be like, oh, oh, you're so helpless and cute and let me take care of you. And I think there's I think there's some of that that here's my kind of psychoanalytic thing kind of coming. I, was just gonna say. <laughs> I think that's kind of like, oh, taking care of our younger self, taking care of our own baby parts, you know, like, oh, I want to, I want to care for you and nurture you and coddle you because, uh, because that's what I want too, you know? And I think that's something that, uh, I mean, there, there's so many, like on social media, there's so many, you know, puppy videos and kitten videos and all that sort of thing and people love that stuff i mean that's just a, that's like a major part of the whole genre of social media these days but i, I think some of that is like oh i want that myself i want to i want to be taken care of in that way so could you broaden that to like rescues like dogs perhaps some people more drawn to uh having a rescue versus a puppy well popular hashtag when you get a rescue is who saved who Oh, yeah. That's true. oh yeah oh of course absolutely i mean i think that's a yeah the the rescue idea i mean and i'm glad they exist and i'm glad they're there but i think there's there's a lot of that for people that it's like i want to be the person to yeah to rescue you because i, I also want to be rescued you know there's there's something there that uh that's tap it's touching a nerve there you know it's reciprocal Mm-hmm. It's totally reciprocal. Absolutely. Yeah. It's also very fitting that puppies are so darn cute and kittens because if they weren't, then it'd be pretty tough to oh. be so patient <laughs> with this have energy into it. That might be why design. If they're like really like gremlins or something, they grew into their to their looks. Yeah, it might be a little tougher to put up with them. Build that attachment to them. Like a little baby bird, those things are not. Yeah, cute. yeah, yeah. If a puppy was like a baby bird, be like, Ooh. no hair or anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you love me. You're like, I don't think I can. Yeah. Well, recognize too, the four of us are big nature buffs. We we really appreciate nature, and yeah. Um, so not everyone does, and that's okay. Or they might not feel as loud by it or connect with it as much and that's okay everyone could have their different things but i know we all definitely well i know for sure the three of us and for you ryan i'm sure it's the same but nature is pretty important in terms of therapeutic for us whether animals or just yeah being the trees nature. yeah i was I was camping with my dog this weekend i think it's pretty safe to say that i'm i'm into that stuff yeah absolutely yeah Sure. And we all went hiking in the in the forests of British Columbia a few months ago. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm into that stuff. Totally. Yeah, no, that's 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 very true. Um, you know, one one other piece just to throw in here, Chris, which is a little more of a technical uh, psychology piece is is the the concept of the the emotional support animal right right yes and the uh you know, that, that's been a big thing over the last few years and there have been some arguments there's a little pushback on the emotional support animal like uh can you take your dog on a plane um should you get a kind of a special allowance for a dog like say your apartment complex doesn't allow 
um, animals, but if you have a, a letter from a therapist, then you can have that dog in there. Yeah. Um, I think they're like, like with everything, there's probably been some people who've, who've pushed that a little too far, abused it a little bit, but I guess I just wonder what, what, what it is for you guys and what your experience has been with, with the emotional support animal idea. And, uh, you think that's actually helpful? Uh, there's some people say that's, you know, questionable whether how, how, uh, therapeutically beneficial that is. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a, it's a really interesting one. I think the support animal stuff isn't done its evolution yet. I think we're really still new in it because there are support animals that are being more formally trained so mm. that they are able to pick up signs if someone's going to have a panic attack uh, or dissociate or like have certain episodes and they like kind of jobs. Yeah, they intervene and help out. Like they, there's stuff that goes on. So for PTSD, panic disorder, that kind of stuff. They do some EMDR tapping. They don't, or maybe they try to. Maybe they, I don't know if they have yet. But um, so in that regard, like if it's actually like a formally trained dog that's doing that, would that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I think the majority of them right now are just kind of generalized emotional support. Like the, the pets, having right? my pet with me makes me feel more comfortable, which of course it's going to make you feel comfortable. Like that's kind of what pets do. Um, we're also, depending on your community, our community locally is I think becoming more and more and more pet friendly, which is interesting. So one of my clients was at a craft fair out maybe about a 20 minute drive or so, 25 minute drive from where I live, big area like it was a big craft fair and uh yeah. she said almost every vendor had a dog with them and almost every person that came in the building had a dog with them wow which i was like that's very interesting and then down at a lot of the local establishments you can have your pet with you or at least on the patio like i so pet friendly areas are increasing which i yeah so i think that's going to muddy the waters for are we allowing support animals or is it just that people are being more pet friendly or what's happening there? I don't know. So I guess long answer for, I'm not sure about emotional support animals <laughs> because yes, they are providing you support because that's what animals do. But I think there's a long way to go for them to be uh, more clinically beneficial. Yes. Yeah, I concur. <laughs> no, I think um, I agree. All pets are to some extent yeah. therapeutic. Um, so yeah, it sounds like a bit of a mess to me. What? How do you determine what dog is a therapeutic or therapeutic pet versus just a pet that provides uh, that provides uh, the comfort? Comfort, yeah. And so, it's yeah. also tricky because then if it's a non-trained dog, like if it's not somehow regulated or yeah. pet, that. Uh, if I don't know what's going to happen with that animal's behavior, so if they're going to be barking or growling or nipping at people, or somebody has an allergy or a phobia. Yeah. So now your emotional support, which is general emotional support, is distressing others. Yeah. And how is, especially, like yeah, in, in a situation yeah. like that, how is that issues, yeah. fair or patios or? 
whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, I don't know. Yeah, you bring up an interesting point about the training though, because you think of um, those who are um, site challenged. Pads, um, dogs. Pads, dogs, like incredible training goes into it. And, yeah. and um, there's no doubt in my mind, yeah, that you know, those animals should be allowed everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think those animals for yeah, sure. Clear cut, black and white in my mind, but. Well, and, yeah. pad, and pads, just a heads up, not only for seeing impaired, but they do the PTSD dogs as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the training part of it, yeah. So as long, but they point. usually have the bibs. They have yeah, a the little, blue bibs. So usually when you see a dog walking around with a bib, you're not supposed to pass as a touch them. And I think there's trust that this dog is actually a really docile, well-behaved dog. Yeah, I agree. Whereas if that, you know, and I am sure that would put people at ease who do have phobias or are yeah. unsure because you know it's the training dog. Yeah, so the level of training. Yeah. So they need to regulate that a little closer. Well, yeah, here there's there's a there is a difference between an emotional support animal and a service animal. And the service animal would be with someone who's maybe vision impaired or you know, disabled in some other way that they they require a dog who's very highly, very highly trained, right? Um, the emotional support stuff is is more about, hey, you know, my my dog comforts me, and you know, I feel better with my dog on the plane, that sort of thing. And there have been a lot of, you know, there's, there's always a story on in the news about an emotional support animal who bit someone who sat next to them on the plane, you know, and it's it's. Yeah. They're not really highly trained necessarily, so it's it's a very interesting thing because oftentimes for therapists, um, you know, the the designation of, of an emotional support animal is up to the therapist. You know, does will the therapist write a letter saying my client, you know, has these has this diagnosis and uh, will benefit from the support of a of an emotional support animal? So I I'm prescribing this to them basically, and I've had people over the last few years who've written to me out of the blue, people I've never even met with uh, as a client saying, hey, I wanna, I wanna rent this apartment or I wanna uh, fly on this flight. Can you write me an emotional support animal um, letter? And I'm like, I, I, I can't, I, I, I won't because I don't, I don't know you, I don't know the animal. I, I don't know how this fits in, into your life. And there are, now, now there's like a, a cottage business of places out there who will just kind of pump out those letters for people. Um, for 35 bucks, you can get a letter that certifies your dog as an emotional support animal. So wow. anyway, it's, it's kind of a messy, <laughs> messy um, situation. I, I agree with you, Brooke, that we haven't, we haven't reached a place yet where it's more clearly defined and we have uh, clearer answers about this. Yeah, and therapeutically, um, like, Again, I understand there's general support, but now are we creating codependency onto this animal? Are we feeding into avoidance and safety behaviors because you're not actually building your own skills or resiliency to work through those situations? Um, or are you just finding- so now you're never gonna take a plane ride unless you have your a support yeah. animal. We don't want that. Just keep you stuck, yeah. Yeah, it's gonna yeah. keep you stuck. And so there's gonna be certain situations that maybe it, is deemed more appropriate like maybe the person's taking a plane ride because they're going through traumatic grief of someone and they're going to the future i don't know maybe it's like a really intensified situation and there could be like oh this one yeah you know what let's give it to you <laughs> well but, or, and and to be even more cynical uh, as as the american here like 
are you just do you just really want this apartment and you can't get it unless you have this letter you know like there's, exactly. there's some of that probably going on as well where it's like hey i just i just need someone to certify that this dog is necessary to me but they you know it's just my dog exactly in which case we're writing letters saying yes i have codependency with my pet <laughs> right 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 because my pet must come with me everywhere although it's not trained specifically to emotionally support me exactly which could be problematic like i cannot live without my pet yeah and that i'm like oh gosh this is going to be bad when that pet, pet pet passes away or anyways i don't i don't i think there's a lot of really cool things that could come from this yeah. but we're not there yet agreed agreed and and the number of requests from kind of random people that I don't, you know i've never met <laughs> kind of supports that like I mean, we're not really getting the, the the point of this yet you know that's not really um sunk in like what what exactly the benefits are of the pets and how important is that for your mental health how important is this pet for your mental health right yeah yeah for sure yeah well cool well good chris did we address the issue did we ever my goodness that was a lighter topic eh yeah that was great yeah so run right out get yourself a goldfish or a hamster or a dog that's good good stuff here nice topic chris let us wrap this up that's it like and subscribe apple google podbean audible spotify stitcher or youtube send your questions to us somewhere on facebook maybe and tell a friend or two and we will see you guys later bye everyone bye now Toodles. pay or new to your pets bye